You're listening to Arts Talk Radio, and I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We concentrate on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. Because of the crisis, we've been unable to carry out any live reviews or face-to-face interviews. And because things have come to a grinding halt, there is very little new to report on apart from updates and generally bad news. That's all available elsewhere, and Arts Talk magazine is trying to keep up to date with all developments in Holland, both in the arts and with the general situation. And it's got a daily news item which keeps its readers informed as best it can. So Arts Talk Radio will try and offer a bit of light relief. A few minutes distraction. Although all the museums are closed, later we have a report on the Caravaggio and Bernini exhibition at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, which will hopefully still be on when the crisis is over. But first, we've been trawling through the archives of Stage Talk magazine in the UK, and we've dug up a few fascinating interviews with some famous British actors. Most of these will appeal to our British listeners, but I'm sure everybody will find them entertaining. This week, we talked to an actress who's been a major star on stage and television for over 40 years and is now rightly considered a national treasure. Penelope Keith, or should I say Dame Penelope Keith, first achieved fame on the BBC television with The Good Life in the 1970s, and she went on to star in To the Manor Born and lots more besides. I've known her since we worked together in Rep in England many years ago, and we met up for a chat when I was researching my book Thespians. We talked over lunch in a rather busy restaurant, and this recording was intended for transcription, not for broadcast, so the quality is not brilliant. Nevertheless, it's tolerable, so we'll use it. I started by asking Penelope about her childhood, and if she remembered her first visit to the theatre. My family initially were from Clapham and Balance. So I was living at my grandmother's with my mother. And she took me, I went to see Cinderella, Stretton Hill, when I was two, apparently. And the moment the Ugly Sisters came on, I said, I don't like those nasty men. <laughs> and that was it. And I never did like clowns, because I, I couldn't bear people getting hurt. And they were always hurt. But I remember... I don't remember it, but I, I, I do know that was my very first thing. But, of course, the thing is, my mother, who was a working mother, divorcee, um, took me to the theatre every um, holiday, because that was my treat. So I saw things like The King and I. I saw... Did I, I don't know if I saw South Pacific. I saw South Pacific. I, this was locally around South no, London? No, 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 in, in London. I was always taken up to London. The first play I ever saw was one called The Young Elizabeth with Mary Morris. And it was lovely because I worked with Mary in a television series. And when someone asked me about, you know, going to the theatre, and I said, yes, I think I was seven or eight. I was very young when I saw it. it I can remember it it was The Cry and Mary Morris. I remember seeing separate tables when I was young. These would be all the original productions, I oh, think. Yes, yes. yes. Mm. Because Mummy took me to the theatre. I remember seeing Call Me Madam, Damn Yankees, The Coliseum, all those big musicals. Of course, I, I then went on when I was at drama school to go and see everything. 
But these were the early plays. And at that point, did you decide that that's what you wanted to do? Oh, I, I wanted to do that from the time I was five. That was it. And did you do any? Did you do school productions? Oh, yes, school plays, yeah. Yeah, and Brighton festivals. Because I was at school in Seaford. Oh, all right. School. So I did Brighton festivals, things like that. What did you do? What parts were you playing it? Well, in the Brighton festival, it was verse speaking. And I did... We had to do the sonnet, Crabbed Edge, and Youth Cannot Live Together, the Shakespeare. Youth is full of pleasant ages, full of care. Remember it? Uh, I think I won that. I can't remember. Yes, I think I did. And my what, school, what age was this? I must have been about 12, 11 or 12. And my school won the school verse speaking one as well. Because there was it was a convent school, but there was an emphasis on drama. They, they, they did elocution, and then yes, from that they did speaking competitions, yeah, poetry, that's whatever. Right. That's right, and it wasn't about speaking poetry. No. It was about speaking so other yeah, people yeah. could understand you and hear you. And understanding the me- mechanics of speaking. Exactly. We, I think everybody had elocution lessons. Yeah. I think I just missed that. I think people, I, I think I possibly knew a few people that did, but I think that had passed. It was very much a sort of 40s and early 50s yes, thing. Yes, it was. And as I say, I'm not talking about accents at all. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? It's the actual mm. timbre. And I'm sure... Which is a bit of a prerequisite, actually. <laughs> well, I would have thought so, because you do actually want an audience to want to listen yeah. to the sound. Absolutely. Like someone playing a violin well. I talked to uh, Ben Whitrow last week. He worked at the, um, the Bristol, and when O'Toole came back and did a season there when they were trying to raise cash, and everybody was just standing there watching yes. him and learning. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I did exactly the same. Yes, exactly. I, was, I never spent it when I was there, never spent any time dressing. I was always in the wings exactly. watching. No, no, you never get that. It's interesting, I was thinking that the other day when Max Bygraves died, I remember doing a gala. Oh, back in there. Oh, 60s for Michael Robbins, who I'd been in rep with his wife, Hal. They lived in Wimbledon, and I did a gala. And they managed to get Max Bygraves. It must have been 60, God knows what, one or two. And, I, and, and my grandmother adored Max Bygraves. Oh, I, of course, I, of course, didn't think much of no, Max no. Bygraves, because you know no, all no. that. I remember standing in the wings and watching as he walked on, and I'd never seen anything like it. I was just amazed. Within 30 yeah, like seconds. That. Absolutely. It was, he had them there. Absolutely. It was quite extraordinary. And funnily enough, they all spoke about it during his obituaries. You could only learn that by going on twice nightly in Absolutely. Glasgow or something. And I, I, I can remember thinking I who had been... Quite sort of, I was, you know, early 20s, an actress. And just looking at it, this is quite fantastic. You know, you should bottle it and sell it. Of course, you can't. But one learns so much. You learn so much about being in the. One of the themes in my book is working with comedians or non actors, which I think you've done quite a lot of. A lot. And They're Joe, my heroes. And, and Joe Jewson had as well. They're my heroes. I always say, I always say to young actors, I say, you know, I, 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 I knew Frankie Howard a bit. I worked with Morecambe and Wise, and I saw Les occasionally, and I said, they reach peaks that we couldn't even think of mm. because they aren't. They go out there totally naked, mm. and they, within three minutes they've got them, and if but, they haven't... But it, which is fine, but if you have to work with them 
in a straight thing, then it becomes a problem, does oh, it yes, not? Yes, yes. Well, because I you're mean, coming from completely different places. Yes, yes. I mean, I haven't done as much as Joe did. Mm. Joe did a lot. I had my one, you know, 15 minutes of fame with Eric and Ernie. We were lucky with The Good Life because it was one of the first situation comedies when all the actors had come from the same background, yeah. the four of us, we'd done our, you know, we'd done our training, we'd done our rep, and we'd done a bit of classic. Because I'm not funny. I'm only... You've made a, you've made a career out of being funny. Well, no, I've made a, I've been very lucky to play some of the great yeah, yeah. comedy roles. But I'm not funny myself. So, no, no... Um, I would disagree with that. I think you are funny. And well, I think that's why... I've got some funny bones. I think I understand playing comedy now. It is timing, yes, and all that. But it's also being aware of the audience. Well, Michael, I remember when I was doing Time in the Conways. They were all young, of course. But I remember talking to one of the young men who was sweet, lovely. And he'd done a bit of maybe two or three fringes, or hot fringe things, and he'd done two or three lines on television, and this was the first time he'd had a reasonable part in a, a tour. And I see, and he was 25. I said, you see, the difference is that when I was 25, I probably played 40 or 50 professional roles, 49 of which were probably bloody awful, but I'd actually stood up on a stage in front of a paying audience. And done it. When you went to, to drama school, how did that come about? When, when was it decided that you should go to drama school at that point? Well, I left school early because I took my O-levels early and there was no question of A-levels or university. I always wanted to act. And I was only... I was just 15, so um, I went to France for six months because I was too young. And then I started applying, so I went very young to drama school, to Weber D. I, that's what I always wanted to do. So there was no question of not... So, and uh, I went to Central, I applied there, and they told me I was too tall to be an actress. Vanessa had just left. <laughs> um, so I didn't get in there. And then Weber D was the other one I tried for, and I, so I was there for two years. What year was this? 58-ish? Uh, 57 to 59. 57, 58. Who was there with you? Who was there? Sam, Samantha Regger was the year below me. Um, Terry Stamp, Rick Jones was there, mm. Marina. Burkhoff was Burkhoff. Oh, was Burkhoff there? was there, yes. He and I entered the Carlton Hobbs things together. Stephen and I. What memories do you have of, of him? Did you work with him at all? Yes, but not a lot. They, were, they don't loom very large, really. Both did the Carlton Hobbs radio thing together. We were taught by lovely Ivan Sampson at drama school. And you had to stand an arm's length away from my microphone. I can remember it still. I can remember it vividly. This is what you had to do. Wonderful. When you left drama school, what was your first job? You Chesterfield. Remember? Weekly round. Six months Chesterfield. I started in September. Civic Theatre is now theater. called the Pomegranate, yes. The Pomegranate? It's now called the Pomegranate. Why, don't you? I, I can't remember an awful lot about it. And then... Then Link. Link, then Link. Because you, you were there the season before, weren't you? Because you were there with Stephanie Cole. Yes, I was there with Steph. Um, Pam Miles, who I still see and hear from. Um, Do you remember those, those excursions we had in London? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And, and oh, we had this thing with you... Because uh, when I contacted you last year, cause I always remember you having an Austin A35, a pale blue. No, it wasn't. Blue. It wasn't an Austin. It was a Triumph. 
It was a standard, standard eight, little standard eight. But it looked a bit like an No, yeah. yes, but it was a standard eight, double D clutch. And you were one of the very few people who had cars in those days. I mean, nobody had cars. Nobody had cars at all. I think the only mothers. people I knew in those days who had cars, Jimmy Bolam had a car. Yes. Yes. And a couple of Stephen Hancock, do you remember Stephen yes. Hancock? He mm. had a car. And I think the three of you, the only That's people right. I know in those Absolutely. days, had a car. I know about four or five people in it. Yeah, double declutch. Oh, you went to see Gypsy in the ABC. That's right. Fulham That's right. This was the wonderful thing in our day. Were the stories. Absolutely. Do they still, I mean, no. do those stories still around? No. no, I think maybe... I mean, I remember like the Rob Atkins story. Oh, <laughs> you see, flowers ale is pierced. Yes, but you see, oh, who was it? We were talking about a story the other day, and no-one knew who we were talking about. It was When I worked with A.J. Brown on Donkey's Years, it was fascinating. He'd been a pilot in the First World War. But he said when he joined the theatre as a young man, just after the First World War, when the older actors spoke of Irving, they'd either take their hats off or stand up. Sir, it's the old um, exactly. dresser thing, sir. Exactly. But it's just so almost soul-destroying that the heritage of it... Which is, is the important thing. And that's what I want to just get down on paper, because in ten years' time there won't be any, any no, people who've no, left, left who've no, worked in no, rep. No, 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 they won't. No, they Certainly, won't. I mean, even the ones who worked in, in, in weekly rep, I mean, weekly rep fizzled out, oh, I yes. suppose, the early yeah. 60s. But yes. No, I mean, when, when, when I say to people, and I worked in weekly rep, they are absolutely amazed. Or even twice nightly yes. weekly rep. Yes, no, I never did that. Johnny Normington did, but I never did. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk magazine, dot nl. Despite all the museums being closed, many of them have some sort of online presence which allows visitors to make virtual tours, so reviews of what's on will certainly be worthwhile. Before the closure, Zoe Baus met up with art historian Wendy Fossen of Casa dell'Arte to talk about a major exhibition in Amsterdam. You've just been telling me about early Baroque in Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds fascinating. And specifically the new exhibition that has opened at the Rakes Museum involving Caravaggio and Bernini. Thank you for joining us today on Arts Talk Radio, Wendy. Thank you for being uh, here or having me again. <laughs> you were just describing a little bit about the exhibition to me and just the great number of works that, that you may be faced with if you choose to go yes indeed it's it's overcrowded and the the title is indeed Caravaggio and Bernini and the Baroque in Rome uh, which means that it's not about not only about these two um, great masters but also about the impact that they had on their contemporaries so um, there is a huge amount of stuff to see, uh, apart from their work, also the contemporaries, which is nice because it puts it in a context, but can be overwhelming as well. Absolutely. So perhaps you could sort of point our listeners 
in the right direction, as it were. I mean, maybe you could also just begin by giving us a little background to the early Baroque period. I think that's helpful then to understand the work of these two very famous artists. Yeah, the um, the early Baroque, so we're talking about, when you talk about the Baroque, you're generally talking about the 17th century. And also, it, it started a bit earlier uh, because it has to do with the development in the uh, religious section of this period. A Catholic church was facing the threat, as you could call it, uh, from Protestantism. So we have like the Reformation and the Contra-Reformation. And what the Catholic church wanted to do was to make sure that people realized that their church was the the most beautiful church to be part of. And you see then that artists are asked to create art that makes it appealing for the ordinary folk to look at and to make it less aloof or less far distant. less distant and create art which is emotion, which is drama, uh, which is movement as well. And then Caravaggio, who is the eldest of the two artists, is using all that to create a completely new way of depicting these very famous scenes, like the beheading of David and Goliath, for instance. Now, you mentioned that Caravaggio, in fact, some of his patrons were cardinals, yeah. bishops. So his relationship with the, with the Catholic Church was quite close. Yes, in a way, yes. Some of them were his patrons. But he also encountered sometimes some difficulties because the way that he depicted these holy people like Mary or Jesus was by using models, street models, people who he just picked up from the streets and said, okay, can you model for me? So it happens, and this painting unfortunately is not in this exhibition, but this same exhibition was in Vienna before, uh, and their masterpiece is uh, about a huge painting where you see that Mary is a woman who was like a prostitute. So we have a prostitute modeling for Mary. So, of course, when the patron sees this painting, and the curious fact is, of course, that some of these cardinals knew these prostitutes well. So all of a sudden they see the, the, the lady that they spend the night with the night before in the suddenly painting, in the painting. Taking on the so, role of Mary. Right. So uh, sometimes he kind of got into to trouble using these ordinary models and uh, as I said it's it's such a novel way of depicting these very uh, famous scenes that especially the common folk did not appreciate what he was doing. Yes now you told me this and I found that interesting because you might imagine that they would welcome this sort of move towards uh, themselves. Yeah. It would be nice for them to recognize themselves. Exactly, they could relate better. Absolutely. That was the idea. But, but, but apparently not. No, they didn't want that. So, you know, when you see a, a, a saint in a painting, he should be depicted as a saint and not as a saint with dirty feet, even though you know that these saints in those days, like themselves, they would walk bare feet. So you would have dirty feet. And that was something that they just, that the ordinary folk did not understand. And it didn't contribute anything uh, to the fact that they were, they, they couldn't relate more 
That's how they experienced it, by depicting these saints as ordinary folk, because saints were saints. So mm. you put them on a pedestal, and that's where, that's they, where they stayed. Right. So that's the big difference that kind of the, the shift that he created, that Caravaggio created, was so intense, uh, but not for everybody. Mm. Now, just can you perhaps... Uh highlight some of the key works for us so if someone were to visit this exhibition what could they look out for in particular because as you said there's a lot to choose from maybe a bit overwhelming so there's more than just Caravaggio there's work by uh, Simone Vouet for instance followers of Caravaggio but also Orazio Gentileschi the father of the famous female painter Artemisia Gentileschi but also Caracci so you have other painters but the works of Caravaggio you will probably be able to recognize because of their extreme light and darkness but also the gruesome images for instance when you look out for his David and Goliath which is you know the blood is streaming from the decapitated head of Goliath and you will recognize the face of Caravaggio in the head of Goliath as well so he painted himself you have a bit there of a dark yeah, sense of yeah. humor well he had a dark very dark side as well cuz he was you probably don't know that but just an anecdote he was he could be very rude and very um difficult difficult uh, and he once killed somebody so he had to flee Rome in order not to be arrested so uh, he he had a temper quite a temper quite a temper obviously. and also of course with his patrons so it didn't right. go well and when you want to compare that to a guy like bernini for instance he was seen as you know the great artist who changed rome because he was just about 12 years old when caravaggio died so he was born in the late uh, 16th century and he was more or less the next generation of artists and he got along very well with all his patrons and he created the most beautiful things in Rome his father was a sculptor already he's the one who created the Bargaccia the, the little fountain boat at the Spanish steps so Bernini was basically born with a silver spoon in his mouth Caravaggio wasn't so Bernini was already trained by his father so he turned out to be an, an incredible sculptor uh, who creates you know he's working in marble but it's like styrofoam he creates images where you see that stone is no longer stone see, it seems to alive move. Of it is alive um, there's this beautiful sculpture of course that is also not there because it's in the in the Galleria Borghese in Rome. It is um, a, a sculpture of uh, Pluto and Proserpine, and uh, you see that she's abducted by yes. Pluto, and he grabs her thigh, and you see her his hands they just go into the thigh. So when you have this in a black and white picture, it might well be just. Real, real flesh, real flesh, and that is something which is so incredible about this this Bernini. Yeah, it is very impressive. But there is plenty of other stuff by uh, him. For instance, when you come in, you immediately faced with another horrible um, sculpture, which is the head of Medusa. Yes, uh, which is also on the front of of the Mm. uh, the catalogue, and you see that her hair has turned into snakes, writhing with snakes. Right, so it's like coming out of her head and her face has a frown so she's like well that's a very captivating uh, image as well so both of these men are 
quite sensationalist yes. in their approach. Very much. Everything else before that is extremely boring by then comparison. by comparison and that is the another nice thing about the exhibition because for instance there's also work by uh, Nicolas Poussin a French painter from that period and it's all you know kind of quiet and I wouldn't say motionless but there is something missing reserved it's reserved you know it's more a classical way of interpretation and that is also the like the two lines that you can follow you can either follow the movement and the emotion and the drama and the baroque of Caravaggio and Bernini but you can also follow the more you know restrained paintings of 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 Poussin for instance well this sounds fascinating and i must say looking even at the catalog i'm i'm inspired to to see the exhibition when does it run until june 7th uh, so um, the listeners have plenty of time to uh, to visit the exhibition. And whenever you go to London, do go to the Artemisia Gentileschi exhibition because Artemisia Gentileschi is this female painter, a contemporary of these two guys. She is represented on the exhibition with one beautiful painting of Mary Magdalene, uh, which will go to the exhibition of the National Gallery. But it's, you know, it's the National Gallery organising this great solo exhibition of this female painter. So it's quite a good addition. If you love Baroque painting or Baroque art, then you definitely should go to London as well. That sounds like a must-see. Wendy Fossen from Casa dell'Arte, thank you so much for joining us today on Arts Talk Radio. You're welcome. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. We talked to Canadian musician and artist Ronnie Tepper when she was performing in the Netherlands recently. And we'll finish with a song from her and her band, The Lip Liners. And this is called The Game. The abuse and power is a phenomenon we see over and over again in industry after industry.
after a year. You offered them 50 grand to be quiet. A record of you well, we asked them to keep. I find myself standing in line without you by my side to say, hey, hey. he's with me. Basking to get enough for grub. So, if I want the job, I better play it their way. Oh, it's the highway. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. That's all for this week and we'll be back soon. Hit the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss our next programme. I'm Michael Hastid and so till the next time it's goodbye. Stay safe and stay healthy and fingers crossed for us all. (laughs) 